I have learned more from this growing garlic and and this lifestyle of farming. I was like most city folk, moved out for a lifestyle and have learned what it means to have a life. This is The Producers. I'm Anthony Huckstep. After a long career in the city, Lee Tao had a yearning for an off-grid lifestyle. Lee and her husband set the GPS for the Southern Tablelands and not only built a sustainable off-grid farm, but now produce some of the best garlic in the country too. So our place is located in the Southern Tablelands of New South Wales. We're about an hour from Canberra and half an hour from Goulburn, about two and a half hours south of Sydney. Garlic is fantastically versatile and hardy, so I, my growing garlic here isn't really connected to where I am so much. But we bought here because we fell in love with the place and we wanted to you know, start a lifestyle. We wanted to build our own solar a solar-powered house that was off the grid and um, it was just a new lifestyle that we wanted from what we'd had before. I was like most of Australia, I think, living in the city and working a a job nine to five. I I I was the founding director of uh, the Australian arm of a global um, money transfer company. And and before that, I worked in the Australian Aid Program. And so, yeah, I I was an office worker like everyone else, only I was lucky enough that my company was online so I could actually do it all online and be anywhere. So it sort of facilitated the whole idea of, well, we could go rural as long as we had really good internet access and mobile coverage, we'd be all right, you know. Therein lies a bit of a flaw in our plan, but we got it. We managed to find a place, no problem. <laughs> I suppose one thing that it does in this area is that means that I can grow what they call true garlic and I can grow varieties that you can't grow in other parts of the country because the con- climate conditions we get here are better suited to them. And that's the beauty of garlic. It's pretty versatile. You can grow it anywhere in the world. It's one of the things I love about it, but where I live, I can grow particular varieties that probably um, aren't as possible in other parts of Australia. Food memories for Lee, both good and bad, have helped inform the way she approaches the art of growing produce. One of my earliest food memories is a bad one, and that was um, being in the early days of Australian childcare, uh, being in the 70s, being left in a childcare situation where all they served us was tinned baked beans. And to this day, I have such a deep abiding hatred of the baked beans that I actually can't even smell them without without wanting to retch, you know. And that's just an emotional response and trauma to being left in this place that I didn't want to be in. Um, and, I mean, you can imagine my poor English husband who was raised on baked beans, basically. You know, he suffers a bit. And it made me learn how to make baked beans. You know, um, but the pos- on the positive note, on the positive note, I have got some really good memories, and, and I think it is around family and food. As the it sounds a bit of a cliche, but it, my mother, despite being a working mum, managed to put on the table pretty much every night a meal made from scratch. 
So I learned at quite an early age. I know, right? I can't even do it now, and I'm not in that situation. Um, I I learned from an early age that processed food, as in tinned baked beans, crappy, horrible, not to be, you know, very few, very good examples of it. Um, then compared to food made with from a place of love and generosity to the family, and from you know, from scratch every night, that what was possible. So that was a really positive one. Um, another positive one was my family in the 80s, as I think was pretty popular in the 80s. They, they, uh, best, their best friends were French cooks, French chefs. And um, so they opened a restaurant, as you do. And so as a, at a very young teenage level, I was learning and being exposed to good French cooking and that informed my mother's cooking, and don't get me wrong, she was great. She was. She, we sat down to smorgasbord lunches, um, so we were exposed very early on to a whole lot of different flavors and textures and types of food. And she, you know, and we'd go down to the local Chinese t- takeaway as well. You know, so it was we had very broad, diverse food um, options in our family. And that's what I love about Australia. That's exactly what we're about, isn't it? Garlic's versatility and presence in every culture triggered Lee's interest and set her on the long path she's been on ever since. There's a few reasons why garlic. I think I muted it before when I said how it is such a multicultural product. I mean, garlic has evolved with the cuisines of the world and all the various cultures grow and use a variety of garlic that best suits their cuisines and their climates. You know, and that's a really important point. The climate dictates the sort of garlic they're using. Um, I think so. Uh, probably the best way to explain is by example. Um, you, Asian cuisine uses garlic shoots because they live in the part of the world which doesn't trigger the development of the bulb and the clove. They don't get the cold, frosty mornings that they need. So they tend to use garlic shoots and they use the whole of the plant. So and the garlic shoots are, sorry, just to take a step back, garlic shoots are, they look like spring onions, but they're far more flavorful and, and far prettier as well. Um, but you go to Europe and without wanting to generalize too grossly, um, they tend to use the bulb and the cloves. But, you know, the French will, for some of their dishes, they're looking for a soft, buttery, nutty kind of garlic. But the Spanish are looking for something that's a bit more robust and spicy in particular because they want that in their, to come out in their chorizo or their other meat products. Um, and then you get to the Eastern Europeans who have got long, slow cooking dishes and they want a garlic that's going to hold up in those kind of, keep its flavour through that long cooking process. So I... I, and I, and the and the biggest thing I've learned is, <clears throat> you know, what I love about garlic is that it's the idea we we only when I started growing garlic, it was about growing it for the bulbs. But as I grew more of garlic, I was staggered to learn. <laughs> That sounds really sad for someone starting off in industry and finding out halfway through. But it just blew me away. That actually, that was just because of my cultural upbringing that that's all I used. And that if I if I went back to the origins of it, even in Europe, they use fresh garlic as they pull it out of the ground from the minute it's about 
20, 12, 20 weeks old, they start pulling it and using it like the Asian cultures do. But they also put let some grow to full size and they store it and then they use it in the winter after it's been cured for a while. Think like green beans, how we eat fresh green beans, but then we put some aside, dry them and then bring them back in the winter to use them. It's the same thing with garlic. And so my use of garlic, my life with garlic, had cooking with garlic had actually missed a whole segment of its life and its usefulness. So I know. I know. See, I get, I get a bit kind of like, Wow, isn't that amazing? And then, and then, of course, I want to tell everyone. And um, and I think, oh, well, maybe other people aren't as engaged on the topic as I am. But it does surprise me that there is so much more to this plant. And so it kind of fed a lot of my, you know, my idea of how do I get this idea of the whole of the plant is usable and that we can start using it so much earlier and we use it fresh when it's most nutritious and as we're meant to, and then use the bulb and the clove. And, and so unfortunately, it's just it's, it's we only go to food and the, the produce that is available to us typically by what's supplied in large supermarket chains. And they aren't interested in providing the really super highly, you know, the fresh stuff that will um, sort of deteriorate quickly you know so then that informed my next step about how to convince people to grow it themselves but um you know try, grow it yourself you'll be blown away and you'll never go back to the desiccated stuff that you sit, see sitting in on supermarket shelves when we think of garlic in australia we often just think of the bulbs but as lee explains there are so many important parts so i grow we talk in terms of groups in garlic language. People give them different um, varieties, different names, but they can be. That's usually a marketing ploy. Um, so we're talking groups, and they're the way garlic is kind of um, similar. Garlics are put pulled together into a group to give people an idea of the sort of flavour profiles they might expect. So, for instance, I grow a Creole group of garlics and in that group there's a lovely French buttery flavoured type there's a spicy Spanish one as well another type the spicy Spanish one and then at the other end of the spectrum I grow something called a marbled purple stripes I grow a few different varieties of that and um they that's very much suited to the Middle Eastern cuisine and the Eastern European cuisine where the flavours hold up in long, slow cooking, but the cloves are big and beautiful and easy peel and all that sort of thing. So uh, the flavour profiles tend to be uh, not so distinctly garlic and distinctly pungent. Or they're, they're far more mellow and well-rounded, I suppose, is a better way of putting it. Definitely not soft. Well, I can't. I can't say that about it at all i don't grow i don't think any of the garlics i grow are gently favored in any way shape or form <laughs> but that's because they're also fresh and australian grown so that's a big difference and grown in soil that's been lovingly managed so that i get good nutritious products yeah it it's very difficult when you've been raised with a multicultural back cuisine background like i have and many people have 
that you go to find your garlic and you wonder you make a dish and it just doesn't have that that flavour that you remember either from having gone to your friend's house whose mum made it or you went to the country and you tried it there, wherever it might be, or the restaurant or whatever. And so I started growing several different varieties. It's it's very hard, as I said, it's a bit addictive because you keep trying to find the one that's going to hit and I have to be um, – I have to apologise here, but it has to hit my palate in the way that I like it. So there's particular garlics that I'm not interested because in growing because they're just too pungent or acrid, and yet there are others that will fit the bill perfectly and stand up to the type of cooking that I do. Um, so yeah, that's I I do grow a few different varieties and every year I promise myself I'm going to pull it back to a few key ones and every year they fall away like I discover a new one to play with or as something evolves in my place because there's a lot of uh, you might buy seed stock from someone and then it'll adapt to where you are and then it becomes very much you can't say it's the same thing that you purchased a few years back it's, it evolves Lee has learnt to utilise the entire garlic plant and find value-added products too, which means she's busy on the farm all year round. Depending on the time of the season, time of the year, uh, so it could be if it's growing time, uh, planting time like now, it's early morning starts, late night finishes, I plant in the morning, I'll break, try and eat something and then I'll start preparing uh, the bulbs, which means cracking the bulbs and separating out, sizing and doing all sorts of things with the cloves for the next day's planting. And I'll work the beds to make sure that they're ready to take the bulbs, the, the, the planting. Um, and then if it's the harvest time, and my harvest is different to other people's in that I – so I grow garlic here on the farm, but I'm growing it for my use in producing two products and they require different times for harvesting. So that informs my growing of garlic, if that makes sense. A lot of garlic farmers plant garlic because they're producing bulbs at the end and so they plant it seven and a half months later, eight months later, they'll harvest the garlic, they'll hang it to cure it or dry it's another word we use, and then they'll and they'll sell that. Because of the products that I'm producing, I start harvesting my garlic much, much earlier because I'm harvesting different parts of the plant to be able to produce my green garlic powder or to get the kind of flavour profile I want for my granule product. So I am busy. Some people might think that's crazy. Why would you do that? But I am busy for most of the year from about August onwards and instead of November onwards, yeah. I started by selling the bulbs because, as I said earlier, you know that was my understanding of what garlic was about. Um, and I started selling bulbs via a local farm shop and called Collector Fresh. And then I started on this down this path of idea of green garlic and explaining what shoots were and providing fresh product and of course they were local so it was perfect they're only half an hour away so it was perfect market for me to um put, distribute my product through and then 
Um, I also sell to the end dried products. I sell to local shops. and Actually, I sell it all over the country. Um, but my bulb product, I actually – my bulbs, I try and – I sell them by subscription to uh, customers. I sell out every year. So, yeah, I I think this is the reality of garlic in this country. Australian Good Australian or locally grown organic garlic is really hard to come by. And so whatever you grow will be will be bought if you want it all to go. So I have never – I always sell out every year on the bold products, but my goal is to get people to actually – look to their local providers because I think there's something about buying your garlic locally, which means that you're getting that flavour profile and those garlics that work really well where you live. And that's about that's about air food miles. That's about uh, – sorry, I should say food air miles. <laughs> um, it's about supporting local growers who have poured their heart into producing something fantastic, which is uh, – that's what one of the things that blows me away about food producers of this country. Um, and it also is flying in the face of it, – it also shows that – this is what fresh produce is like, and in particular, fresh garlic is like. So buying it from me, yes, you can do that because Australia Post still lets me sell my, send my product in the mail and I can get it to you. But I really, every time, keep saying, you know, have we found anyone local? Do you think that? Because yeah. I think it would be better. It'd be, you'd get a better quality. It hasn't been subjected to Australia Post. That's the key, you know. And it's not no no disrespect to Australia Post. It's just that, you know, they don't want you to send food products in the mail. And there's a reason why. Garlic can grow just about everywhere. But as Lee discovered, there are important steps to getting it right. Mm, good draining soil, which I think this season has come into its own. Um, it doesn't like wet feet. So if you can grow it in... Grow it in pots is a great way. Grow it in wicking beds is another way. Grow it in raised beds, but make sure it's raised in some way. You know, that's definitely really well raised, at least 20 centimetres high. Um, but I think that another thing is feed it, feed it well. Uh, it loves rich soil. And like most things, it needs water, despite what other people might tell you, you know, uh, we moved out from the veggie patch to growing it in the paddock just as the drought hit here. And I learned very hard and fast that nothing breaks down without water. So all the organic inputs we put into our, into our soil, nothing happened. And consequently, my garlic crop that year was pretty sad because it had no feed, had no nutrient. Um, and that's because it didn't have water. So uh, that's another one. Um, give it time. Quite often people panic and they think, I've got to get in the ground, I've got to do this. There's some old, you know, there's some old tales around and, they, you know, 
there's a reason they exist because they come from the northern hemisphere, but in our parts of the world, we've got quite a broad growing range here. So depending on where you are, you can plant, I can plant right up until August if I wanted to. Um, actually, I do. I plant in August as well. But um, <laughs> the, I think another, another tip would be to feed it well, water it, uh, keep an eye on it. You're looking for vibrant green leaves. If you don't have that during its growing phase, then you've got nutrient problems probably or disease and you need to address that. Um, or else you're going to end up with a sad bulb at the end of seven and a half months. The leap from executive to farmer has opened Lee to the world of cultural and culinary nuances she had never experienced. I suppose key things that it's taught me is acceptance. Actually, I think this is typical of anyone who produces food, grows food for sale. It's acceptance that there are so many things out of your control that are going to impact on your crop that you can only go with, you can do everything you can to mitigate it, mitigate the risks that you can, what you can, you'll try and do to mitigate. You will use all your skills and knowledge to be able to help reduce the impact of whatever is happening to your crop to produce a substandard result. So you have to persist in the idea that you've got to keep an open mind and just keep refining what you know. Um, I mean, I just keep thinking about I have never had a normal year. I don't even know what a normal year is because I don't, I've had never had the year that's repeated itself since we started growing. And I, I think the most I got, the closest I got to normal was a drought, a series of drought years where no water is no water. You get to work around that. But then we've had all this rain this year. So I've had to re, I've had to adapt again. So every time my learning boundaries and experience boundaries are getting expanded. And, um, and I suppose in all of that is, the concept of resilience much bandied about, but I think farming folk and in particular food producers are incredibly resilient in that we keep showing up to have another go and see if we can do it differently this year because we've learned something from last year or we, you know, we, we just want to try again. We can't we'll see if we can do a better job. Um, yeah, that's very much me. <laughs> it's not just the move to the country or the art of growing garlic that has changed Lee's life. It's the deeper understanding of the ways garlic is used in so many different cultures. That multiculturalism of garlic, I love that it undermines. It's almost, it's typical of Australia because we've got such a multicultural background that we could have garlic in so many different ways. I love that about garlic. I love the fact that it is ubiquitous. I I love the fact that it is something that I can grow that is beautiful, useful and tasty and actually um, nutritious at the same time. Um, I then use my garlic to produce a, a product that's captured people's imagination in in the green garlic powder and that and then, and also, it produces the something that is so incredibly convenient 
uh, in the granule, in its granule form, dried granule form, that, you know, no one will ever whinge about not being able to source Australian-grown flavourful garlic. We can do that. It's We've moved on so much from the jarred garlic that I grew up with in the 80s, you know, um, and that's brilliant. I love that about it. And I think I said earlier about how I love how it's shifting people's understanding of something as ubiquitous as garlic and how they, if they grew it themselves – they're almost – it's going to surprise them with what they can do with it. And this is such a humble plant that you wouldn't expect that of something that's just – that we see, as I said, on the supermarket shelves. It's just so leagues away from it. And I like the idea that people's minds get shifted and, if anything, they get a little empowered because I think informed consumers – can make great changes and I like that part of it. I think garlic is my instrument really to do that. Um, it's a little, I think, what is it, subversive? Yeah, I think it's the word. Subversive of the standing paradigm that is industrialised agriculture. Yeah. <laughs> Lee's commitment has helped create some of Australia's most incredible garlic. Not just bulbs, but shoots, granules and given Australia a better choice when it comes to such a vital ingredient. This is The Producers, a Deep in the Weeds production. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of producers, farmers, makers and growers, the true lifeblood of the food industry. Follow us on Instagram at Producers Podcast or email us at producerspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au.